0: Seven years ago, Roger Dean asked me a simple question. He asked me if I had found a church home yet. He invited me to attend church here. And uh, when, after I came here, I was wondering if such a large church had room for someone like myself. One of the greeters took the time that day to make me feel at home. Uh, ten months later, I made the best decision of my life and was baptized. I've never been so happy with God's blessings. Um, my life has changed through this church and its people. I met my wife in the fort Worth Bible class we've been married for four and a half years, and things have been ex- extremely happy in our lives together. I also have a daughter that comes to church with me here, and I've made truly a lot of lifelong friends and I just extremely enjoy coming here.
1: Greater things are yet to come. Greater
0: And that's why we're having this campaign for more room for more people like Drew and like your friends. It's why we're planning churches and starting a university. It's why we're launching a campus on the west side. That's why we're creating more room in this building for more people to find Jesus Christ, just like Drew did. And so last weekend was special for two reasons. One is because we launched this campaign. And uh, so if you're a first-time guest here today... And you're thinking, are they expecting me to give to this campaign? The answer is no. And if you're a second-time guest, it's time to pony up, baby. (laughs) And last weekend was special for another reason. Because it was my birthday. And because I work with such special and sweet people, I want to show you how sensitive they were to me. My assistant, Beverly Watson suggested that I put the following bumper stickers on my car now, like this one that says, I'm speeding because I have to get there before I forget where I'm going. Or, I'm retired. I was tired yesterday. I'm tired again today. Or, at my age, happy hour is a nap. I like this one. Be nice to your kids. They will choose your nursing home. Of course, you know, there's a corollary. Be nice to your parents because we can spend your inheritance. Uh, Senility ain't bad. I wrap my own Christmas presents, never watch reruns, can hide my own Easter eggs. I get to meet new people every day. See, the reality is I am getting older and that means some things are going to change and I can't stop them. I don't plan to color my hair or get liposuction. I'm okay with the fact that I'm in a temporary body and it's going to change, okay? Okay. And so someday I'm going to lose my hair, and I'm going to lose my stamina, and I'm going to lose my health. But I always intend to keep my vision. And I'm not talking so much about my physical eyesight. I'm talking about what the Bible says, walking by faith instead of sight. Because as long as I keep my vision, I'm going to keep growing. No matter how old I get. And so will this church. You know that churches across America and Christians across America have become stagnant, plateaued. They've stalled. And I think the reason God's people stall is they start sightseeing. And the classic illustration of this truth is found in the book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So you can be turning there. Let me set the context. I want you to put yourself in the place of Moses this morning and how excited he must be because he had a lifelong dream, a lifelong dream to deliver the Hebrew people and return them to the land that had been promised to their forefathers when God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, the first time he tried to lead them out of the land, it didn't go so well. So God sent him out for 40 years of training in the wilderness. But now he's led the people out. He's standing on the borders of Canaan. After 15 months since the Exodus, after 400 miles of walking, they are right on the border of fulfilling his lifelong dream. And the text says in chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These aren't nobodies. These are men of influence. When these guys speak, people listen. Now, they're about to do something special. These 12 men are privileged to be the first descendants of Abraham to actually walk in the land of Canaan in four Hundred years. Now, in a sense, Israel already owned the land because God had promised it when he made a covenant with Abraham. But it was time to convert ownership by promise into actual possession. It was time to take what God was eager to give. But instead of scouting the land, the majority of the spies chose to do some sight-seeing. And so we read in verse 25 when they returned that at the end of 40 days. They returned from exploring the land. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live... Uh, near the sea and along the Jordan and then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it but the men who had gone up with him said we can't attack those people they're stronger than we are and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored and they said the land we explored devours those living in it All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. You know how they looked when they came back from that land? They looked a little bit like this girl going down this slide right here. Now the thing is that God had said two things back before the Exodus. Before they ever left Egypt, God had said two things about the land. He had said, it is fruitful and it is occupied. So, they bring back a report that essentially says the land is exactly like God told us it would be. So why do they register such surprise and why do they express such doubt? Are the living, Enoch more powerful than the living God? So Caleb and his friend Joshua, who was also one of the spies, spoke up. Now they totally agreed with the content of the report because the content was accurate. The land is fruitful and big people live there. But they couldn't have disagreed more with the conclusion of the report. Hey, this is our land. It was promised to us. Look at what God has done for us. He took us out of Egypt. He parted the sea. He's led us with clouds and fire. Let's go take it. Look at what they said in verse 8, chapter 14. If the Lord's pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, what's the difference? They saw the exact same land. They had the exact same content in their report of the land. But you see, Joshua and Caleb had vision. And the rest of the size depended on sight. They were sight seers. They walked by faith. They didn't bring the divine dimension into their report. They didn't remember all the mighty acts of God that had brought them to this point in history. They didn't account for the favor of God and the faithfulness of God to keep his promise. You see, vision produces faith. But sightseeing produces fear. And sadly, fear tends to be much more contagious. And so it says in chapter 14 that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking this plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. In fact, their fear was so great, they even talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb for trying to stop them. Now, here's the irony. The people that lived in the land of Canaan were just as afraid of the Israelites. 40 years later, when they come back to the land, they go to this town called Jericho, and two spies meet a woman named Rahab. She says, We're scared to death of you folks. We have heard the report of what happened in Egypt. We've heard the story of how you crossed a Red Sea on dry ground. Now, that story's 40 years old, and they're still quaking. The people that God sent them to conquer were terrified of the Israelites. But the nation's lack of vision led to a lack of will and even a lack of good sense. You're going to go back to Egypt? You think Egypt is going to roll out the red carpet for you? You think going back to Egypt without God is going to be easier than going into Canaan with God? You see, they're making a site-based decision that's going to impact an entire generation. So let's read what the Lord says, starting in verse 26 of chapter 14. The Lord replied, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you twenty years old or more who's counted in the sentence and who's grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun, As as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder. I'll bring them in to enjoy the land. You have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. See, they feared that their bodies would fall in the land. So God said, all right, then have it your way. You can just bury your bodies outside the land. And what did this generation become known for? They were the generation that saw the plagues. They were the generation that marched on dry ground through a sea. They were the generation that received the law of God. But that's not how they're remembered. They're remembered as the generation That knew how to conduct funerals. Because that's all they did for the next 40 years. Have funerals. And their story has been too often repeated. Among the people of God. Individuals and congregations. That God brings to the brink of greatness. Who turn back. Because they have no vision for the future God wants to give them. You know, at the Pilgrims, it was interesting. They come across the Atlantic Ocean on these tiny little wooden ships, right? They get to America. The first year, they build a town. The second year, they elect a town council. The third year, the town council votes to build a road into the forest five miles. And the fourth year, they try to impeach the council for such a foolish idea. They had the vision to cross a 3,000-mile ocean and then couldn't see five miles into a forest. It's amazing how the people of God can come so far, be brought so far, and then get to the brink of a next great adventure and say, can't see it, and turn around. See, that's kind of where we are as a church Are we going to just be content to stay where we are with what we have? Are we going to be a church with vision or a congregation of sightseers? See, let me tell you something about poor vision. First is that it will verify God's will using man's wisdom. Sightseers want the agenda of God to make sense. See, no doubt the ten spies said, hey, we gave a logical, we gave a reasonable, we gave a factual report. But God called it an evil report. Not because they had fudged the stats. But because they had left him out. I think sometimes... We allow our good sense to limit our vision of a good God. So 40 years later, God would bring their kids back. He would say, you start walking toward that flowing river. That makes no sense, but they obeyed. And when they got to the river, God stopped the water. And then he said, now you march around that city seven days. That makes no sense, but they obeyed and the walls came down. They would have never conquered the land if they had lived by sense instead of vision. You think it made sense for a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to start planning a nursery? And I'm not saying that research is wrong or that we shouldn't have planning. I just think sometimes we... Get all excited about, well, how are we going to do this and how are we going to do that and how are we going to plan all these churches? How in the world are we going to start a university in Africa? We can howl the will of God to death. But the sense of men should never invalidate the clear leading of God. That's poor vision. I'll tell you something else about poor vision. It amplifies whatever it's determined to find. You see, Moses sent the spies in to learn how to take the land. But 10 of the spies went in to see if they could take the land. And let me tell you something. If you're an individual Or a church. If you really want to be afraid. You will always be able to find reasons to be afraid. We look like grasshoppers to them. Well how did you know that? Did you ask them? No. You're just assuming that because you want to be afraid of them. Why, if you are a sightseer, you can even twist the report to come up with your predetermined conclusion. Notice he said, we saw Anak there. Then they said, oh, you know what? We saw Nephilim there. Now, I can't go into that teaching, but that goes all the way back to Genesis 6. That is sheer scare tactic. They know if we use the word Nephilim, whether we are actually there or not, we will scare them to death. And it worked. See, here's the deal. All that God has done in the past, all His mighty miracles, mean nothing if you don't want to see the future God wants to give. So if you want to live by sight instead of vision when it comes to your sexuality, keeping yourself pure for God's future, if you want to live by sight Instead of vision, when it comes to your witness, so that you never wind up sharing your faith with anybody. If you want to live by sight instead of vision, when it comes to your finances, so that you never make a huge sacrifice in your life for the kingdom of God. If you want to live by sight, the enemy will always give you reasons to do it. But it's going to mean a life of wandering instead of camping and claiming and conquering. You see, poor vision justifies a life of desert subsistence. And there are too many Christians and there are too many churches who are accomplishing nothing, attempting nothing, doing nothing and calling it normal. Normal we have baptized wandering and walking around in circles as normal in most churches and something's wrong when the people of god settle for camping instead of claiming you see, we can't get comfortable here and lose the vision for God's future for us. I know we got a good thing going here. And there would be a strong temptation to say, let's just, let's just keep what we have. Let's build up our walls and let's just enjoy where we are. But that's the thinking of sightseers. God called us out of Egypt to send us into Canaan. We're supposed to be conquerors, not wanderers. I'd rather battle with God than settle somewhere without Him. You see, the history of this church is a history of people with vision. We stand on the shoulders of men and women that wouldn't accept status quo as good enough. They've gone to the far ends of the earth. They've paid huge prices so that we could have right now What do we have? And they're still here. Just uh, two days ago, I put my wife and my sister-in-law, Debbie and Jamie, on a plane to go to Qingdao, China, like a lot of you have done. We're going to spend two weeks in China reading the Bible with people who want to learn English and talking about Jesus. Now, from a sense standpoint, that doesn't make sense to think you're going to make much of a dent in that country sending two ladies to go read the Bible. But they're not afraid of giants because they think God is there with them. We have more giants in our midst. I want you to meet uh, Chris and Lindsay Travis. Would you guys come join me up here on the stage? If you were here Wednesday, you met Chris and heard an awesome sermon. Chris and Lindsay are going to be our next church planters in upper Manhattan. And I wanted you to meet them. This is Chris. This is Lindsay. And I want to ask you both a question real quick. Uh, How has God prepared you for this awesome vision? Um,
2: Yeah, thanks for having us today. Um, One of the things that I think about for myself is that um, uh, I haven't always been a believer. I I gave my life to Christ about ten years ago now. And uh, grew up in a very good home, but not a home that uh, practiced any particular religious tradition. And so I grew up as an agnostic. And uh, by the time I got to college, I studied English literature and philosophy and became an atheist, and my life sort of fell apart because I embraced that worldview. And then somewhere in the midst of that, stopped one day and bought a copy of the Bible for what seemed to me to be no reason, um, and started to read it and was just wowed by how much the God in the Bible seemed like the way I thought God actually would be if he existed. And then in particular, when I read about Jesus, his words and his deeds, uh, he was so um, countercultural and so otherworldly that I became convinced that there must be some supernatural power alive and at work in the universe that created these documents. And from there, it was just people reaching out to me and getting involved in a great church. And uh, I gave my life to Christ eventually. But I think that God is using that part of my background. Um, He's given me some compassion for people that don't believe. Uh, for what that feels like, and of some sensitivity to how to approach people like that. There's a lot of people like that in New York. Um, Quickly, the the two other things that I think about are um, I got involved in ministry on staff at a church, a great church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and just had excellent coaches and mentors and supervisors that prepared me for the skills that I would need for this. And then lastly, for the last two years, Lindsay and I have been living in Manhattan, and uh, I've been teaching math at a public school in central Harlem, at a a very challenging school, sometimes dangerous school, and had a ton of incredibly uh, bizarre and difficult and painful and sometimes wonderful and significant experiences that I think God used to shave off some rough edges in my own character and uh, also to turn me into a New Yorker faster than I I would have uh, otherwise. Um, So um, that's how God has prepared me.
1: Morning. God has really prepared me um, for this journey by um, just providing the opportunity and the love for um, and working in the performing arts industry, which is what I do. And um, working in the theater business has just introduced me to a whole group of people um, that don't know God and all they really want to know is that he loves them and doesn't judge them. So um, when I'm waiting in line at auditions and when I'm Doing a show or sitting in a dressing room or getting coffee with an actress friend i I truly see that as my my main my main job because um, people don 't know that and um, sorry, I wrote on my hand i 'm a little nervous <laughs> um, <laughs> and secondly, God has really put in our hearts um, just hospitality and we want to open up our homes to people um, it 's such an isolating community uh, you put on your Earphones. You look at your Blackberry. You don't talk to people on the subway. You don't talk to people on the street. And we are really trying to swim against the, the stream with that. We want to serve dinner to people, get to know them, have movie nights, game nights, and just love them and, and really show them that that's what our church is going to be.
0: Okay, one more question. Because I'm thinking when you announced to your friends, we want to plant a church, they would have said anywhere but New York. That makes no sense. Somewhere where people are a little more receptive, somewhere where the cost of living isn't so high. Why aren't you afraid? I mean, that's, there's giants in the city. Why, why do you believe this is God's vision for you?
2: That's a, it's a really good question, and it really works with this passage of Scripture because it, it is. It's one of those places where if you're looking as a sightseer, as a church planner, you would not pick New York City. It's way too expensive People there seem to be very uninterested in spiritual things. Um there's people there that are focused on their dreams, their careers, they're at their top of their field, the businesses are at the top of their industry. It's a fast moving place where people don't have time for love or relationships, it seems, but it's not really like that. Right? Part of it is that we're we're looking at the city through the eyes of vision, and I found the opposite to be true. Uh people in New York City are incredibly open to relationships. Um, to serving and making their lives meaningful and finding purpose because they're not finding it in what they thought their dreams were. And they're open to reconciliation with God. We found that people in the city are very, very open to Jesus. The question more often has been, will we as Christ followers and as the church uh, be open to those kinds of people? Um, And then the other thing is that um, we just, we know that God is with us. Um, So we're, we're looking at the city with the the eyes of vision. One of the things that's been very important to us is we know we have a great team, but we know we cannot do this ministry in our own strength. It's a God-sized task, and so the main thing we're asking people to do to help us is to pray for us. And I'm, I'm certainly hoping that some of you here today will will make a commitment to pray for us. If you would like to do that, just go to the Greater Things website and click on Judea, and there's information there about how you can do it. But we just need a ton of people praying for us. Because we know that Christ is with us. He didn't just say, go into the world. He also said, I'll be with you till the end of time. And so I know with Jesus with us and with all of you praying for us, uh, his church will prevail.
0: Amen. Isn't it cool that we're going to be partnering with people like this? Oh, Thank you. i got to tell you, people with vision just inspire me. I like to be around them. I want you to have that kind of vision. That's part of why I'm excited about this campaign. I get the chance week after week to try to motivate you. And that's so critical. Look at this picture. This is the 50th anniversary of the Dallas Cowboys, right? So that's their first year, and they were terrible. They had this young unnamed coach named Tom Landry. They were they couldn't beat anybody. That's Jim Brown running all over that first year team. They lost game after game by huge scores. And motivating them to play was a tough job for this brand new coach. But one game, they burst out of the locker room. They ran toward the bench with vigor and enthusiasm. And a reporter stopped Landry and said, How did you get them so motivated to play? And Landry said, It's easy. I told them the last 11 to the bench had to start. <laughs> See, somehow, some way. I'm determined to motivate us as a church to go charge into the next part of our history like we never have. And I tell you why. Because God's people still have a land to take. We're not saved to stay safe. We were saved to be sent. Our mission is to go to the ends of the earth and grow followers of Jesus. And someday they're going to write our history. And what will they say about this generation? You know, at the end of his life, Moses gave his last speech. And the saddest words that ever came out of his mouth was when he recalled their own history as a nation. And he said in Deuteronomy 2.1, Then, and this had, I bet he had tears in his eyes when he said this. Then we turned back and set out toward the desert. Forty years later, another generation was raised up by God. It says about them in Joshua 3.14, the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. Which generation are we going to resemble? You know, I said, we stand on the shoulders of people with vision. This church is here right now. This building is here right now. Because a generation ago, people sacrificed because they could see God's future. Remember a few weeks ago when I announced that we had changed our name to the hills? There was a visiting preacher of a pretty large church that day who stopped me. and said, how can you do that? How can you just stand up and make an announcement about a change like that? And the church just nodded their head and say, okay. In my church, there'd be a dozen red flags if I did something like that. I said, because at my church, my people believe in the mission. And the mission trumps everything. And that's why... um, That's why five years ago, I remembered this, when we made that pretty momentous decision to include instrumental worship as part of our strategy to grow worshipers. Do you know what group in this church was the most supportive, the most kind? I don't recall a single negative conversation, a single negative email. I don't recall losing a single relationship with this one group in the whole church. You know who it was? It was our brothers and sisters over 70. You know why? Because when you've lived long enough, you start to see what matters and what doesn't and they reminded me of this that someday I will lose my hair and I will lose my stamina and I will lose my health but I don't have to ever lose my vision neither do you so father We're praying right now that you would deliver us from sight seen so that we can be people who walk by faith. Claiming the future that you have painted and imagined for us. We ask for the nations just like it says in your Psalms to do. We ask for China. We ask for Rio and for Concepcion, Chile. We ask for East Africa, God. And for West Fort Worth. We ask that you would fill us with passion and confidence. That hundreds and thousands more can come into the kingdom of God. Because we're claiming what you so desperately want to give. And so God, increase Our vision for Jesus' sake. Amen. And as we sing our next song, a song of confidence and boldness and victory, I invite you particularly to come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to make that decision that Chris made, that God is real and that Jesus loves you. Be baptized into his death and resurrection and start the awesome walk of following Jesus while we stand up and sing.